So for that, we will have uh, Dr. Shadi talk about it today and hopefully next week as well. Alright, so um, I'd like to begin the subject of uh, dua with another subject, another question that comes up to a lot of people and a lot of people, uh, a lot of people actually uh, have a problem with this and they sometimes have a crisis basically and that is a simple question of why do bad things happen and why is this important? This subject is so important because if you are going to benefit from dhikr and dua, okay, you must be able to handle the impetus, the impetus that will push us to dhikr and dua, okay? And dua is really a type of dhikr, and it's the, one of the best forms of dhikr, but it's a little bit different. It's better, actually. Dua is greater than dhikr, right? Dua is greater than dhikr, okay? Uh, Iblis, he did a lot of dhikr. And that what caused him to elevate. He was weak in du'a, believe it or not. Right? Du'a means it comes from someone humble. Right? Someone humble. And uh, Iblis was not humble. Okay? So <coughs> du'a is a symbol, symbolizes your relationship with Allah Azza wa Jal. So your tawheed of Allah Azza wa Jal is actually embedded in the moment that you make a du'a. Right, because obviously you're only calling one God. Uh, your belief in the power of Allah Azza wa Jal is embedded in your process of du'a, because obviously you're not going to ask someone powerless. Okay, your feeling or your admission that you are a humble servant, that you are low, and you're asking from someone higher, is embedded in your du'a. Okay, it's embedded in your du'a. So the one who makes du'a, du'a is the best ibadah that you can do after, from the, after your obligatory prayers. Du'a is the best ibadah you can do. Okay? Someone was asked, I'm making a lot of dhikr, but I'm not advancing. I'm still the same person. Right? I'm not advancing. Okay? Uh, the antiquest answer is, how much du'a are you making? Okay? I really hope Paris is enjoying those Fritos, aren't you? Right? <laughs> okay. Okay, no problem. <laughs> if it was anyone else, I wouldn't have said anything, but it's Harris, right? So, okay. So, uh, whatchamacallit, where were we? <laughs> anyway, uh, we were saying someone was making a lot of thicker, okay? But he wasn't advancing. He was asked, Are you making a lot of dua? Right? And the answer was, No, he's not making a lot of dua. Right? All right. You got dua is greater than dhikr. And it's type of dhikr. It's a type of dhikr. But what's the difference? Dhikr 
itself is to strengthen your spirit. Dhikr itself is to raise your ranks. Dhikr itself is to cool your anxiety. Okay? Dhikr is almost like... Um, Dhikr is very beneficial to yourself. But it's not necessarily admitting your weakness. And Allah Azza wa Jalla loves for us to admit our weakness. Okay? This is why one of the best dhikrs is La ilaha illa anta subhanaka inni kuntu min al-dhalimeen. You need to study this dhikr and know it very well because when you are in trouble, and not only any trouble, why is this dhikr special? Okay? Well, Prophet Ibrahim was in trouble and he said another great dhikr, Hasbunallah wa ni'mal wakil. Allah is enough for me and the blessed is the one that I rely on. But Prophet uh, Yunus, he said another dhikr. He was in trouble too. He said, La ilaha illa anta. There's none worthy of worship but you. Glory be to you. Subhanak inni kuntu min al-dhalimin. The word subhan, when we say subhanallah or subhanak means you are free from blemishes. All right? Allah is declaring that Allah has no flaws. And hamd, right? You always see tasbih and hamd. Hamd means that you are declaring that Allah possesses every virtue. Everything good, Allah possesses it. So this is why we say subhan, subhanallah, alhamdulillah. These are the meanings of these two. All right? Subhanallah, Allah is free from all blemishes. Alhamdulillah, Allah is the possessor of all virtues. But why is it that Prophet Yunus, alayhi salam, his dhikr is different from Prophet Ibrahim's? Prophet Ibrahim's dhikr is when someone oppresses you, you say hasbunallah wa But most of the times, we're not oppressed, right? We oppress ourselves. We make mistakes. We do sins and wrongs and end up in big trouble. This is where you need the dhikr of Prophet Yunus salam, And this is why the Prophet salam, said, don't ever say you're, that anyone, anyone is better than Yunus. Because Prophet Yunus, we know him, right? He went to give da'wah to the people in Nineveh, Iraq. And he ended up uh, getting frustrated with them. And he left them without permission. Prophet is not allowed to leave without permission. Okay? Then the whale swallowed him, and he was in the darkness, the same darkness that they were in. And he was cloistered, so they don't know that he, he's now experiencing darkness, and he's experiencing being clo cloistered up. Well, kufr is darkness as well, and it's being cloistered up. So he didn't really understand the, the, how bad kufr is. So Allah Azza wa taught him, not by making him go through kufr, but showing him, you see this, you're in the stomach of the well, you don't like it. Likewise, they're, they're in a stomach of, they're in a closed, dark space, right? In a bigger sense, through the heart, right? So, Prophet said, don't say this, because you, Prophet Yunus went through that so that we can learn a lesson. That when you make a mistake, when you're in trouble because of your own misdeeds, this is where you need the dhikr. La ilaha illa anta subhanaka inni kuntu min al-dhalimeen. There's none worthy of worship but you. Uh, glory be to you, or you are pure, free from blame, or uh, flaws, and I am from the wrongdoers. So Allah Azza wa Jal, you've combined everything here. You've given Allah tawheed. You've mentioned that he, his glory, all right, and his attribute of having no flaws. And then you've also blamed yourself. If you want your ibadah, your dhikr, and your dua to be strong, blame yourself. Then Allah Azza wa Jal never punishes someone who's already blaming himself. And if he punishes them, he will benefit from that punishment. All right? All right? If you 
get suffer a consequence after you're penitent of your sin you will benefit from that consequence okay it looks bad it looks like you're being punished but you'll benefit from it okay now again i'm backtracking to something else before all this okay before dhikr and dua is comes an impetus and that is bad happenings things that you don't like to happen in your life things that are bad because when Allah Azza wa Jal loves to hear your voice, He pours upon you trials and tribulations and things that are no good. And you have to learn how to handle, in the realm of belief, things that are no good. Okay? You need to learn and understand the value of bad happenings. The one who can value and understand the wisdom and then utilize, okay, like a fulcrum, Bad occurrences is the one who will travel to Allah fastest. You will go to Allah. As Allah says, Firru ilallah, flee to Allah Azza wa Jal. Okay? And Allah Azza wa Jal talks about a competition amongst the Salihin. Uh, right? These Salihin, they look, which one of us can be closer? And they are hoping for his reward and his mercy and fearing his punishment. Okay? So, bad occurrences. Why do bad things happen? Okay, why do bad things happen? I just posted this stuff today because someone asked me about it and they said their family member is having a big issue with a recent death of someone, young. Why do bad things happen? Okay, so if Allah is just and fair, why do bad things happen? Okay, if He's God of mercy, why do like babies born with deficiencies or things like this? So firstly, embedded in this question, okay, if you is you believe in Allah. Because if you're saying, why does Allah cause bad things to happen? In this question, you are admitting your belief in Allah. No one believes in God, not a Jew or a Christian or a Muslim, except you believe in another life after this life. So this is the first point. You will believe in Allah, you're mentioning Him in the question, you then must believe in the afterlife. Right or wrong? Right? So you believe in the afterlife. we got to bring up the subject of the afterlife always. You must never try to imagine life and study a matter in life without reference to the afterlife. This is like uh, the way Dajjal wants you to th view things. Just this life. And this is how secular news is treated. We analyze things just this life. A Muslim never analyzes a situation from just the perspective of this life. Who does so is a fool. Because in your belief, you admit the belief of the afterlife. And you believe that it's greater than this life. So everything that you analyze, you must have in the realm of it, okay, in the context of it, the afterlife. And not only that, the greatness of the afterlife over this life. The, your iman is almost proportionate to how much you're thinking about the afterlife. Another question, if you, my iman is up and down, and why is it some people have fear of Allah and others don't? It's all about one simple question. How much are you thinking about the afterlife? It's a very simple question, okay? If you are adding that dose you will notice a change and you don't even have to try to change. You will change, okay? You did not have to try to change. If you got to run, all right? If someone's running because they say, all right, I need to get in shape, you're going to run two, two blocks and you're going to be tired, okay? But if there's a dog running after you, you don't need to tell anyone to run. He's going to run on his own, right? He could be, you know, the most out of shape person, right? And you will see them running. Likewise, you tell someone to try to eat something that doesn't look good. Okay, a kid won't eat it, but if it looks, it's got sprinkles on it, right? And it looks bright, like ice cream, you don't need to tell them to eat it. 
right? So description of the afterlife, and one of these series of uh, the brothers, you should do a series, and you probably did it last time uh, about the unseen, uh, but not even the unseen, the afterlife, description of the after, all the afterlife, right? From the grave all the way to the hellfire, to the paradise, to the judgment, what matters in the judgment, what doesn't, okay? The dhikr, the mention of the afterlife. So this is the first thing that we have to come to mind when we ask the question, why does Allah cause these bad things to happen? There's an afterlife. Now when we say that there's an afterlife, it allows us to bring in a second question, okay? The second question, which is what? Which is, second question is, if we believe in an afterlife, then what are the consequences of bad things in the afterlife? And the, we know this. The Prophet didn't leave us in the dark. The Prophet, peace be upon him, said very clearly, every single thing that causes you hem or gham and hem, anxiety about the future, gham about the present, hazan about the past. Three things, hem, gham and hazan. Hem is about anxiety about the future. Gham is present state anxiety or upsetness. And hazan is about the past. And the Prophet he mentioned these three things. Then Ashoka, not even a prick on the skin. So these are what? Emotional difficulties and physical difficulties. The physical difficulty at the level of a prick of a thorn. Nothing of these occurs to a mu'min except that Allah compensates him on the Umar Qiyam. Compensates him on the Umar Qiyam. What is compensation? It's equal. But if he has sabr, then he gets rewarded for it. And reward is more than you deserve. Compensation is good. That's equal. All right. If I have a if I get migraine headaches once a month, some people do. Okay. If I get migraine headaches once a month, I'm wondering like my life is debilitated at this point. One every month, I'm out for a day. Okay. Some people are like that. Okay. You're going to be compensated. Not just compensated. Compensated, and re if you have sabr, rewarded. This goes for the Muslim and the kafir and everyone. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Inni haramtu alaykum wa muharrama. Okay? I have prohibited you from dhulm and I prohibited myself from dhulm. Allah azza wa says he prohibited himself from dhulm, oppression. So what is oppression? Harm that's not compensated or you do a good thing that's not compensated. All right? Not a Muslim or a Kafir or anyone. Everyone who does who receives some harm will be compensated in this life or the next. Or both. And anyone who does good, he'll be receive a reward in this life or the next or both. Okay? So we have to realize this. So if we're told and we know for sure, okay, that the compensation of the afterlife, okay, is eternal, eternal. And the suffering of this life is temporary, then what's a better deal? Which one is a better deal? If I'm going to suffer, if I'm suffering in this life, well, this life is only 60 or 70 or 80 years. But the compensation is eternal. So who's winning at the end? So much so the Prophet ﷺ said, when you see the reward of the blind, you will wish that you were blind. And we're not allowed to wish for harm on ourselves or others. We're not allowed to wish for harm. We're not allowed to say, oh Allah, test me. Oh Allah, bring tribulations on me. You're not allowed to say that. But Prophet said, when you see them, 
you will wish that you were blind, okay? You will wish that you were blind, okay? So every harm is, so now we ask the question, now that we believe in the afterlife, when bad things happen, and we know that the compensation is eternal, the suffering is temporary. We ask the question, is this suffering bad anymore? Or is it actually good? Okay? Or is it actually good? All of you who are studying are studying for four years, then having or for medical school for four years, then being a doctor for the rest of your life. Right? So is it worth it or not? You're losing four years of your life. You're gaining your whole life. So it changes the way we view good and bad so much so that the Salihin of our Ummah said, the righteous of the wise people of our Ummah said, the trials and the tribulation are the feast of the wise. It's a feast. Because when a trial comes upon him, he knows he is going to be pushed towards dhikr and dua and that he is earning credit with Allah just for bearing with his difficulty. The only time that we can say that bad occurrences in this life is actually a punishment against you, okay, is when the bad occurrence causes you to do more sins. Then we say you're being punished and you're not going to be recompensated or rewarded. This is your punishment, okay? Like what? Yeah, okay, you lose your money. All of a sudden you're broke. You lose your job. All of a sudden you're in a really bad situation, okay? As a result of this, you become a drug addict. Okay, you you did not respond well, right? Or you're punching walls and beating people up, or yelling at people. We tell you this is not anymore. As long as you're doing that, it's not a test anymore, right? You're not going to be compensated. You're going to be punished. This is a punishment, and you're going to get more punishment, right? Right? A reward of a bad deed is another bad deed. Okay, so. As long as a person is having sabr, you need to understand that bad things happening to you is actually the first way that Allah makes you do dhikr and dua. Okay? He makes you, you have to really not like bad things. No one likes bad things, but you have to understand them and benefit from them. All right? You have to benefit from them. And what are some bad things that happen to the Muslims? Well, anything that happens to humans will happen to Muslims, right? But other things happen to us that don't happen to anyone else. And that is Allah's will through the book, which is his prohibitions and his obligations. And I'm not able to fulfill, to stop myself from doing a prohibition, and I keep sinning. This is also a bad happening, right? It's a bad thing. When someone is, is unable to practice the deen properly, there's an obligation, and I have no strength to fulfill it. You have to view this equivalently as if you had gotten a cold or got hit by a car. You have to view it in the same way. Your own shortcomings is a bad happening, okay? And your own shortcomings should be the biggest impetus to dhikr and dua, all right? Your own impetus to dhikr and dua. No, nothing you, someone, sometimes people are, are asking a question. Allah Azza wa Jal, He made me in such a way that every time I see someone else, who doesn't have my problem, I just feel so depressed. Right? Anytime this comes to you, you have to have wisdom. This is Allah's impetus to you. At this point, remember me. Because I'm your only cure. Okay? I'm your only cure. This is how we understand. If we under this is why you can't really in Islam talk about one subject. You only have to bring two, three subjects in. Right? Because they're all connected. 
So this is your impetus. Number three, if someone who says, okay, why did Allah cause bad things to happen? Okay, if you believe in Allah, you also believe in Qadr, right? We believe in Qadr. Everything is destined. Everything is destined. Now, in the subject of Qadr, the Prophet said, لا ينفع حذر من قدر. Okay. Any precaution that you take, you can take precautions. Prophet said, take precautions. Prophet said, tie your camel. He said uh, many times, you know, wear shields when you go to war. He doesn't. He isn't he a prophet? Doesn't he rely on Allah? But he wore two shields to the battle of Uhud. Okay. Didn't he plan battle of Badr? So we take precautions. But the Prophet said. Take precautions, but believe that precautions do not stop destiny. Whatever is destined to happen is still going to happen. But he said, one thing stops destiny. Okay? Dua. Dua can slow down or break up destiny. So a destiny is like a rock coming down on you. Your dua can push it away. Well, what's the point of pushing it away? Well, it could push it away because if something, if a flu... Hits a, if a two-year-old, it could kill him. But if it hits a 20-year-old, it's not, right? It's not really a big deal. So you change. So you're pushing dua, can push away a tribulation that's coming upon you to a point that it won't affect you later on. Or dua can break up, break up a destiny, uh, a trial that's coming upon you. Al-bala. All right, the Prophet said, there's an angel, he is muwakkal bil-bala. That means this angel is the angel of trials and tribulations and bad happenings. Allah says, pour such trials on so-and-so. And he goes and pours it. The only defense that you have is your dua. Okay. Your dua cannot change the essence of the trial that's coming upon you. But it can change when it happens and it can break it up. So, a car accident. You got a car accident? A fender bender, you have four fender benders or one big car accident? Which one would you prefer? Right? Four fender benders, right? So we know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, all right, uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, we didn't, the book, nothing can be changed, okay, but it can be decreased. Qadar, can, you can't change it. If Allah wills for you to be sick, you're going to be sick. But how are you going to be sick? When are you going to be sick? This is the question. Dua can change all this, it can make it something you don't even feel. Broken up into many little things. Okay? Broken up into many little things. Many little sicknesses over the course of 20. You got the A? It's always, uh, so it's always broken up. It's not like just... It, it can be broken up, okay, into things that you don't even notice. But it will not change, right? It won't change the essence of it. It won't change. Okay? Like a, a rock, right? You're going to have a rock falling on your head and you can die. Or that rock can dissipate into dust... Such that, that you walk into one day and you don't even realize what happened, right? It's the same essence, right? Same thing. This is what our, the Prophet said, Dua can push the bala. And this is why dua is so important. Some people say, well, I mean, the situation is a lost cause. Why should we make dua? Or some stranger comes up to you and says, oh, my grandmother died. Can you make dua? It's like, I don't even know you or your grandma, right? What kind of dua do you think I'm going to send up for you, right? A manners dua, right? This is a type of du'a that we have in our community, which is du'a of good manners. Like, okay, fine, may Allah give her jannah. I don't even know who she is, right? Okay, why should I make du'a for her? Maybe she's bad, right? No, you got to think 
realize that your dua, whether it's for yourself or others, okay, has this effect too. So you gain, whenever someone asks you for a dua, number one, number one, if you don't know the person, they still receive your dua. I mean, if you don't know someone's, uh, you go call uh, 1-800-MY-APPLE when you have a problem. You don't know the person at the other end. They're still going to get the call, right? They will still get your dua. They will get by, well, you should say, oh Allah, I don't know this person, but you know them. So grant them such and such and such. Number two, the angels, Prophet Sallallahu said, six angels come down. Furthermore, you got to realize that the dua is by practice. The Prophet Sallallahu said, Allahumma a'inni ala dhikrik wa shukrik wa hasni ibadik. Help me. So how does, it, how, how does it mean? What does it mean, help me, to learn how to make dhikr? It's because your dhikr and your dua is really based on your power, your own strength in it. The Prophet ﷺ said, the dua of the oppressed is the greatest of dua, strongest. Why? Once the oppressed feels that he has no one to help him, all right, his dua becomes very strong, extremely strong. As long as you have a plan B and a plan C and a plan D, your dua is not going to be that strong. Okay? As long as you have, uh, you know, something to fall back on, you're not going to be that strong. Okay? But the dua of the oppressed, okay, has no barrier between it, Allah Azza wa So you got to know that dua, dua is what gives a person happiness. Because the Prophet uh, Allah Azza wa said, the greatest moment of a abd, of a servant, is when he is in a moment of feeling like a servant. Feeling needy, feeling needy, okay? This is ubudiyah. How can you feel needy if what you're making dua with a half, half a heart, okay? You're making dua without any strength. Now, you, how do you, when do you feel strength? When I'm in trouble. So do I have to wait until I'm in trouble every time I make dua? Or the intelligent person learns how to simulate this, right? How do we simulate this? You simulate this by telling yourself, look, I might not be in trouble at this moment, but at any given moment, I'm in the hands of Allah, anything can change. Anything can change. You might be comfortable now. So what is the benefit of making dua when you're comfortable? The Prophet ﷺ said, the one who, do, who remembers Allah when he's comfortable, Allah remembers him when he's in trouble. Right? This is very important. Whoever remembers Allah, right? Man araf Allah fil rakha, arifahu Allah fil shiddah. If you know Allah in good times, Allah will know you in bad times. You actually, Ibn Ata also tells us, it is a bigger test to be in good times than to be in bad times. If you're in bad times, you know you're in trouble. You know you're going to get on your knees. You know you're going to go to the masajid. You know you're going to not do anything wrong. You're going to be more careful because you're in trouble. But he said, the one who... Who is in good times? He's in more need of Allah Azza Okay, because you can relax. You're not sending up any du'a anymore. Now, if a trial comes upon you, you are not sending up any defenses. You're not sending up any arrows to push away these trials. Okay. So this is the thing. This, when bad occurrences happen, you have to remember: you believe in Allah, you believe in the akhirah. You believe in Allah, you believe in qadr. All right. You believe in Allah, you know Allah knows better than you. Okay, and he pushes us to make dua and dhikr through bad times. And how does he test people who pass this test? By not giving them any bad times. This is one of the biggest tests. 
Okay? If you learn the trick and you realize, oh, I get it now. Every time there's a bad time, right, I advance. I make a lot more tahajjud and dhikr and salah and dua and I start avoiding harams, doing my obligations and being better and I advance. All right? You start figuring out the pattern. Well, Allah Azza wa Jal, He has a lot more, right? There's not going to be, it's not that simple. What's the next test then? The next test is no tests. The next test is no trials, no troubles. You ever have a moment like this? SubhanAllah, my grades are good. Body looks good. Family's doing it. No one's bothering me. Got a job. SubhanAllah, right? What's going on? If you're smart, you shouldn't be so happy. You should realize this is another test. This is a big test. When Allah leaves you, He's going to see, are you, what are you going to do on your own? On your own, what are you going to do? When you're doing good, what are you going to do? And your ibadah at this time will be a little bit different. It's going to be a little bit different. You're expected to do more for other people. If you're down and out, unemployed, you're in trouble, you're in a bad situation, all right? Your situation at this point, Allah doesn't expect you to do anything for anyone else. Allah expects you to clean out your own house, right? Fix your own situation. But when your situation is fixed, the expectation is different. Allah expects you to give to others, all right? And Allah Azza wa Jalla has only made the rich and the fortunate a funnel for others. You have to view yourself as a funnel. I'm a funnel. I'm getting all this goodness. I got to give it out. I got to give it out. What if happens if a container gets full? You stop pouring. But if that container has holes in it, okay, and it's giving out in the right sources, it's spending its money in the right sources, Allah will keep pouring into that container. Okay, He's using you to benefit His servants. Okay, And then you have to pray that Allah accepts your ibadah. He accepts your charity. He accepts your good works. All right? This is your dua now. Your dua in the beginning is, Oh Allah, alleviate my trouble. Now when good times and you're helping others, your dua is accept my worship. And Allah loathes, loathes the worship that is done without any fear or question, is it accepted or not? You always have to ask and wonder and have fear. Is my ibadah going to be accepted or not? And this is where dua comes in again. The dua for your deeds to be accepted. Very important. I mean, how many times, when was the last time we actually thought about this, right? Nowadays, in the end of times, where which we are in, okay, we think, if I do a good deed, really, I mean, look at what's going on in the world, how bad and, and, and corrupt the whole world is. If I do a good deed, Angel Jibreel should come and shake my hand, okay? That's how people think, right? I should be patted on the back. Because half the people in the world are not even, they're going against Allah, not even, they're not even heedless, they're going the opposite way. Okay? So, no, you can't think like this. You must think, oh, Allah accepts my deeds. Because Allah doesn't need our deeds. Okay? Allah doesn't need our deeds. Ask, we have to ask for this. And then what is the greatest thing to ask for? Another piece of advice has to do with this, the Laylatul Qadr. And all of those great times, what are the greatest times of dua? Laylatul Qadr, and the last sixth of the night or third of the night, in sujood, while traveling, while sick, uh, your mother for you, the dua of your mother for you, okay, the dua of the, the oppressed, if you can find someone oppressed and have them make dua for you. If I was a lawyer by trade, I would work for one of these um, uh, 
cases where they look for someone who's wrongfully convicted, right? Wrongfully convicted, because these people are special, right? If you could win the dua of one of them, if you could make one of them alleviate his tribulation, subhanAllah, your position with Allah is going to be very special, okay? So the Prophet Aisha asked, O Messenger of Allah, in these great moments, what dua should we make? And he, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, said, ask Allah for afiyah. Afia. Allahumma innaka afuun kareem tuhibbul afu fa'afu'anna. What is afia? Afia is the greatest, the highest form of forgiveness. We have forgiveness of sin. Ghafir. Ghafur forgives all types of sins. Ghafar forgives all types of sins all the time. But there's still a difference. What's the difference between the ghafara and afa? Ghafur means I forgive you. It doesn't necessarily mean things are going to be the same. Right? This is the sad part about forgiveness. Yeah, I forgive you. Doesn't mean things are going to be the same. Afu, okay? Afu means I forgive you and nothing will change. Everything will stay the same. This is Afu. And Afu has a greater thing. To be forgiven doesn't mean that it's forgotten. But Afu means it's forgotten. That means Allah has erases it from the minds of people, from the memories of people, Okay? And causes the malaika, the angels, to forget it and to wipe it out of the book. So you do a deed and you come on Yom Al-Qiyamah and you don't find it on your scroll. This has got to be, right, Prophet Sallallahu said, this is the greatest of dua that you can ask for. Allahumma inna ka'fu wa kareem tuhibbul afu fa'fu anna. So we've gone now 34 minutes and just to summarize, we talked about some of the most important dhikrs. Hasbunallah wa ni'mal wakil. This is when you're oppressed. La ilaha illa an subhanak inni kuntu min al-dhalimeen. When you're, up, when you're in trouble, but you're the cause of your own trouble. Okay? We talked about the meaning of subhanallah and alhamdulillah. Okay? And then we went and we went back a little to the impetus. What is the impetus of dhikr? Is bad things happening to us. And how we must receive. It's like a power outage, right? A power outlet. You got power. Bad occurrences are power. There's power that comes with everything bad that happens to you. But if you don't have an outlet, if your outlet doesn't receive it, you don't know how to handle it. Okay, you won't know how to handle it. So you need to understand how great of an opportunity every bad happening is. The incident in Syria right now, okay, there, there are is so many bad things happening, but the actual good things that are happening are innumerable. Allah Azza wa Jal is never bringing a calamity on his ummah except that is for the favor of their afterlife. Like a calamity on one person, you could say, yeah, maybe he did bad, maybe he deserved it. But uh, when a calamity comes on an entire nation like this, okay, then you have to know this is for the good of the ummah. Because th their deeds, someone says, okay, well, why are the Syrian people, are they so good, right? Why is this, is this happening to them? What did they do? They didn't do some, something that great. You go to Syria, it's like any Arab country. There's corruption, there's all sorts of bad things. How do you know? Well, Allah doesn't treat people by what they do. He has mercy. How do you know that some of their grandparents were not so good, Allah made dua, he, they made dua for their grandkids? How do you know that some of these grandparents looked at the situation of colonization, of the downfall of the Khilafah, of the death of scholars, and said, Oh Allah, what chance will my grandchildren have, right? What chance will they have? There's no Khilafah anymore. The, the French are coming in. The British are coming in. The TVs are coming in. The schools are getting shut down. The scholars are dying. 
And those grandparents made dua for their children. Okay, and this is how Allah Azza wa Jal is giving them paradise by making this life of theirs, okay, taking away their home in this life. You think Allah takes your home away twice? He's going to take away your home in this life. You're going to get something back. This is how Allah Azza wa Jal is saving these people whose grandparents were good. As Allah tells us in the Quran, They had good people, but their grandkids were bad. They couldn't keep it up. But if Allah Azza wa still wishes to have mercy on them, He pours on them trials and tribulations. So that now, He may be, they were bad. But it's very hard to be bad when you're homeless. So Allah cut short their bad deeds. He cut short their bad deeds and caused them to be traveling, wandering the earth, Europe, no one wants them. Wherever they're going, nobody wants them, right? Traveling the earth. How, what bad deeds can you do when you're wandering the earth like a Syrian right now? Okay, subhanAllah. So there's a lot of good in this, okay? But you have to understand the afterlife. And we also don't understand that even though we know that there's good, doesn't mean we stop from helping them, okay? So let's stop here, and that's the summary of, uh, basic summary of the issue of du'a. We covered a lot of other things. Hopefully you put them in your notes, and we can uh, open it up right now for your questions and your answers. Yes? It's not bid'ah to raise your hand in du'a in general. Since the Prophet ﷺ was seen that he raised his hands in du'a, but he never raised his hand in du'a after salah, so neither is it something you're going to get a sin for. It's not going to invalidate your du'a, nor is it going to be something a sunnah that you should do. Good question. Very good point. Um, when we deal with the unseen, it's very, sometimes you don't know how to deal with the unseen. Okay? You're speaking to someone unseen to you. Um, there is, firstly, there is only one limitation on dua ever in terms of uh, how, not what you say, but the nature of it. And that is, of course, dua in the bathroom and dhikr in the bathroom. That's the only prohibition that you have. Um, otherwise, other times we don't make du'a is in ruku'ah. You don't make du'a in ruku'ah. You make tasbih in ruku'ah. You can make du'a while standing. You can make du'a, of course, in sujood and while sitting. But ruku'ah is a time in which you don't make, we don't make du'a. We make tasbih. Okay. Um, the adab of du'a is that any time you make du'a, your du'a is, is valid. But the greatest way to make a proper du'a, okay, is by beginning, by thanking Allah Azza wa Jal, by recognizing and admitting our flaw, okay? Recognizing and admitting our flaws and our sins. And by recognizing the one whom Allah loves, that is Sayyidina Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So beginning by praising Alhamdulillah and then also uh, admitting our own shortcomings, okay? And dua can be in any language. As for the pr inside the salah, there's a difference of opinion, and the majority hold that inside the prayer you should only speak in the Arabic tongue and keep the rest in your heart. Now, what is important in the dua is your weakness and your meekness in the presence of Allah 
You don't walk in front of to Allah Azza wa Jal feeling self-confident, haughty, uh, that you know what you're doing. Then Allah will say, if you're that strong, go do it yourself. Okay? But Allah loves the one who comes to him with weakness, with fear, with nervousness. That's how you should approach the king. Okay? Allah is a king and he doesn't want you to have a... Uh, Treat, talk, be with him as if you're another king. When you're out with the people, you should be confident, right? You can go out, be confident with the people. Don't go into the court of the king, okay, with anything. You're nothing. The more you're nothing, the more you are something in his sight, okay? So the most important uh, etiquettes are these etiquettes of the, the, the meaning, the etiquette of the heart. As for the etiquettes of the body, as we said, the bathroom, the rukua, okay. Um, yeah, there, the dua is uh, best best to be done while sitting down facing the qibla. And of course, the best dua is in the sujood, okay. So there are some of these etiquettes of dua. Uh, now, what do you never make dua for? We are not allowed to make dua against other people, Okay. We are not allowed to make a dua. Oh Allah, burn him in the hellfire. Okay, you don't do this. Okay, so someone says, all right, so what about uh, oppressors, tyrants, and all these? You should make dua. Oh Allah, stop them from their tyranny. Right? That's, isn't that enough? Okay. Oh Allah, compensate all the victims. And you can, yani, uh, take the dua from the Prophet ﷺ. If he made dua on someone, take those words. But it's generally not the way of the uh, Muslims that they're just making dua on people but in some cases it's not wrong and there are some cases where it is not wrong okay to make dua on people okay and usually that dua should be in this world so you don't want to say oh Allah put them in the hellfire right you would really would say oh Allah impoverish them why because that would stop them from oppressing you or smite them right that will stop them from oppre oppressing Okay, As for example, there were some Sahaba, the 70 Sahaba the Prophet sent to a uh, Najd to the east in Arabia to go and give da'wah. And the, some people from that tribe had come and asked for teachers. So the Prophet sent a lot, 70. Then they betrayed them. As they arrived halfway there, they surrounded them and killed them all. So the Prophet we were very upset with them. Extremely angry. He made qunut for over 40 days. Qunut is another place of du'a after the last ruku'a uh, of your salah is to stand and make a du'a. Okay? Make a du'a. And that is qunut. That is for when serious things happen. Okay? And he made du'a against them by name in the prayer. Okay? But, you know, this du'a is a du'a of in calamities of this life that will stop them and punish them in this life and he did not make du'a against their afterlife. Okay, so if we're going to make a dua on people, you should have this in mind that your dua against them is to stop them from doing what they were doing. Is there any other specific uh, things that you had in mind regarding the etiquettes? Uh, yeah, just the way I usually tie things is giving that praise of Allah. You be a praise Allah. Also, salah on the Prophet, so I said, admit your own wrongs. This is very good, right? Uh, make yourself humble, okay, and then end end with salah on the Prophet's side as well. Yeah. What's that?
Oh, including others in your du'a is one of the fastest ways to get your du'a answered. Okay? There was one guy, he said, he, he, he was in Mecca, when I was in Mecca as a student seeking knowledge, and there was a kid who was just down and miserable. Okay? And this guy that was making du'a and thinker all the time. So then one of the wise men, he came up, veteran in the religion. Okay? He said, uh, let's hear your du'a. And he's, he's making du'a, oh Allah, this, 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 this. He said, okay, are you the only one in this universe? Right? Right? You don't have a mom. You don't make du'a for your mom. You don't, you just from that, Allah may not answer your du'a. You know, you, who paid for this trip of yours? Right? Okay? <laughs> your dad doesn't receive any du'a. He paid for this thing. Right? You're here because of him. But what about us teaching you? None of us get du'a. Only du'a is received as you. So you're a narcissist. Okay? So the bet, and then immediately as he started making du'a for others, he looked, saw as if a cloud came off of his chest. And he just became happy again and just uh, totally relaxed and happy. Because if you want your du'a to be answered, make it for everyone. Okay? If you want something in this life, transform it into a service. Okay? There was one man, he said, two, two students, they were seeking knowledge. One of them succeeded, the other he failed. Okay? He failed. All right? And they said the one who succeeded is because he kept saying, oh Allah, if you give me knowledge, I'm going to pass it on. The other didn't. He just wanted knowledge for himself. Right? If you want something, if you transform it into a service in your dua, you'll get it. Oh Allah, give me this. If you give me this, I will give it to others. Right? I will help others. Okay? I will help others. Okay? So, uh... This is one fast track to your du'a, is to make your du'a about others. Because if you can imagine, and of course this doesn't exist, but if you can imagine that there is a line of du'a, a queue, there is no such thing. But there's a line of du'a, people's prayer being answered. Okay, If your du'a is for yourself, well, I mean, that's just one person. But if you're making a du'a for a hundred people in the community, right, and you're just, you're one of them, Okay, your du'a is going to be brought forward, right? Because you're thinking about others, and that which is what we call muta'addi, that which goes to others, is far greater than that which is just for yourself. Okay. Yeah. Um, so outside of the prayers, would you say it's better to make du'a in Arabic or better to make du'a in English than you If it is a dhikr or a du'a of the sunnah. Learn the exact way the Prophet ﷺ said it. Do not change a single th letter. And we know this because the Prophet ﷺ gave Sayyidah Aisha a special du'a for her. Aisha radiallahu anha was fiery. Right? She was fiery. And the Prophet ﷺ saw that she needs a special du'a. And that du'a is, Oh Allah, cool the fire of my heart. Right? So she uttered it back to the Prophet ﷺ, but with a slightly different word, and he corrected it. He said, no. Don't use that word, use this word. So if a dua is a sunnah dua from the Prophet ﷺ, you must take the effort out and not be lazy and learn exactly how to say it in the Arabic tongue, okay? And make that dua in Arabic. As for all other matters, you can make dua how you wish. And it can be in the car, in the bus, while walking, in any moment. Don't over-formalize the matter so that you never do it, right? You just always say, oh, I'm only going to make dua with wudu, Okay? In the, my room, on the rug, with a candle. Then you're never going to do that, right? It's not going to happen. Make dua like people, like normal people make dua when they're in trouble. No one wait, waits. When you're in trouble, you make dua on the spot. 
Sometimes you speak it. Sometimes it's in your heart. Sometimes you write it down. Sometimes you say it in your language. Sometimes not, right? Another language. Whatever. That's how you make du'a. Now, that brings us up another point. Du'a for specific things must be qualified with the statement, if it is good for my deen and my dunya. This is very important, right? It's very important. Okay, so, yeah, why? Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَيَدْعُ الْإِنسَانُ بِالشَّرِّ دُعَاهُ بِالْخَيْرِ An individual makes dua asking for evil, thinking it's good. Okay? You make dua for something because from our limited judgment, we see it's good. But Allah knows it's evil for us. It's not going to have a good end. Okay? So, I mean, if a kid ha wants, wouldn't every kid like to have Skittles all the day? Right? But you know it's bad, right? He thinks it's good, but you know it's bad. So our the rel relation between our knowledge and a kid's knowledge, okay? The relationship between our knowledge and Allah's is far greater. All right? A kid, a five-year-old kid will catch up to you in knowledge in 10 years, right? He'll be 15 or, okay, let's say 20 years, you're equals. If, there's a five, if, you're, all, if you're all 20s, right? You're 20, 21, okay? You have a five-year-old nephew. In 20 years, you're equals, okay? You'll be like 50 or 40, and he'll be like, what, 25. You're equals, pretty much, 40 and 25. There's very little difference, right? And the differences between you and him now is just experience, nothing that you've intrinsically achieved, all right? Well, Allah, Azza wa Jal, we can go another 1,000 years, and we'll still be, as Allah described, just like a needle pricked into an ocean, that's our knowledge of all of humanity and Allah's knowledge, right? So it's very fathomable that we think something's good. In fact, it's very bad, right? And we think something's bad, and in fact, it's very good. So Allah, Azza wa Jal, uh, we are guided to say, uh, grant me this if it is good for my deen and my dunya. And for that, there is a special salah called istikhara. Salatul istikhara, maybe tawfiq and the brothers and uh, in, who are in the email list can email that to everyone. You must learn this salah. And this salah is done for every decision, big or small. You should make this salah. And if you make istikhara, okay, you will not fail. This is the promise of the Prophet, okay, that if you make istikhara, you, you will not fail. Istikhara is two rakahs followed by a specific dua. And you continue to do this until when? Until you become truly firm in your resolve. And even when you are firm, you continue to do it until the matter becomes easy. Right? So istikhara is not just when I haven't made up my mind. Some people think that istikhara is just when I haven't made up my mind. No. Istikhara is also to make the matter more easy. Okay? Because you say in the Stu'a, oh Allah, if it's good for me, make it easy. Right? If it's bad for me, make it difficult. So you continue to do the istikhara. You can join between sunnah and istikhara. So your maghrib sunnah is istikhara or your fajr sunnah is istikhara this is allowed too so you can continue to do this until you're firm in your resolve then you continue to do it again until you the matter becomes easy for you okay or the opposite sometimes the matter starts closing up okay it starts closing up then you know you have to leave it it's not good for you okay so we should qualify our dua with the statement if it's good for my deen and my dunya yep it's kind of dumb question but if you're doing istikhara in the sign you just continue to make istikhara and you um, continue to make istikhara and if it continues to be bad 
the door is closing, then you have to admit, like admit defeat, put up the white flag, okay? And let her marry someone else, right? <laughs> okay? So uh, this is basically high percentage of staccatas used for that, right? Uh, but uh, uh, you continue to make a staccato. But one of the things about it is the beauty of this dua is that it says, and make me pleased with your choice. This is why this dua is so important. Because it says, oh Allah, if it's good for my deen, not only make it easy, make me happy with it. Because you want to be happy at the end of the day. So, and if it's bad, okay, make it difficult and make me content without it. So that's why. Yep. Okay, uh, assuming you, that you're meaning here dead, right, deceased of the Nam. Right. So first, you always, you're, we make dua for anyone, you can make dua for anyone, uh, except those whom Allah has already informed us is damned. Like you're not going to have a dua for Iblis, for example, right? Because he's already damned, and it's not appropriate, okay? But you can make dua for anyone else. Uh, now, for the deceased, someone who dies upon kufr, we are not allowed to make dua for them. This doesn't necessarily mean that their situation is damned forever. Because you don't know. Maybe they died upon... For example, many people died before receiving the message of Islam. We know that the ruling on them is that they'll be given their own test on Yom Al-Qiyamah. So there, some of them will go to heaven, some will go to hell. But we are still not allowed to make dua for anyone who died outside of Islam. Okay, because if this was the case, that firstly, there's we don't necessarily have a no why. Some things in the religion, there are two categories. One we call maqul al-ma'na, rationally discernible. The other is ta'abudi, which is we don't know why Allah told us to do so and that's it. Okay, so everything that has to do with the other world, the next world, the spirit, spirit uh, realm of the spirit and the afterlife, is ta'abudi. Like, who, who knows why it's five prayers a day, not four, not three. Why is the Ramadan special, right? Why not we make psalm in another month, right? So on and so forth. Why is zakah one out of 40? Why not 10% or 5%, okay? It's 2.5%. That which has to do with the other world, we don't know, all right? And we have to have tawakkuf, right? So the, this is one of them. The Prophet ﷺ and the Qur'an came, told us, do not make dua for the, those who die outside of Islam. Maybe, we can say the wisdom, maybe is that so we don't get attached to them. Maybe, look, if we see the whole ummah is making dua for kuffar, 
then maybe there's no incentive to actually do good, right? Right? If the whole, think about it, if in the Haram, in Mecca, in the 27th night of Ramadan, four, five, three million people, however many million people are there, making dua for everyone, then I feel like there's not, not much, much incentive, right? Allah knows best, right? Allah knows best. But the issue is that we're just told not to do so, okay? It doesn't necessarily mean that person is going to the hellfire. Our dua is not going to be determining that. So, but we're just not allowed to do so. Just in the same way you're not allowed to marry them, right? In this life. Likewise, after their death, you're not allowed to make dua for them. And here's another thing. If he died outside of Islam, he doesn't even believe in your dua, right? It's another thing, right? Whereas a Muslim, he dies even, he dies upon major sins, he's benefiting from your dua in your grave, in his grave. Someone else? Cousin? Um, people misuse, inshallah, too much. Okay. Inshallah, let me just uh, break it down, make it very simple. If you use a command tense verb in your sentence, then you say, inshallah, afterwards. Okay? You didn't say, for example, I was doing my homework, inshallah. Okay? <laughs> you, for example, I'm going to call you tomorrow, inshallah. That's a command tense verb. Simple as that. The Allah says in Surah Al-Kahf, do not say that you will do something, except that you also say, inshallah. So people, um, that's the only time you should use it, right? May Allah give you tawfiq, khalas, that's it. That's the end of the dua, okay? <laughs> May Allah give you rizq, right? May Allah give you sit. Not inshallah, right? You're already asking Allah, azza wa right? <laughs> you had a question too? Yes, you, um, it can be in any language too. Yeah, because uh, if you don't know how to express that in Arabic, then you could say it in any language. That's yep. You do that. What's that? Sure. Uh, uh, but the dua you said, uh, or Allahumma inna kafun karim Yeah, there's two narrations: one with karim and one without karim. Afun yeah. karim is good because you know you want to be forgiven, but also given, right? And if you add the word karim, then Allah will also grant you things. And from the meaning of afu is you do wrong, Allah wipes it away, He keeps treating you the same, and He keeps giving you more. And this is how life is for us. Like We keep making mistakes, but uh, Allah keeps giving us more. Was that a hand up back there? Yeah. Okay, so this question says, should we say we're going to Jannah or should we say we're going to Jannah, inshallah, right? Um, yeah, no one, I don't think, should say we're going to Jannah. He should say, may Allah enter us into Jannah or grant us Jannah. That's what makes more sense. 
So uh, both those two people turned out to be ignorant. <laughs> the one is correcting the other, and he's upon double ignorance, okay? Because <laughs> his statement made no sense either. So we, yeah, the verses say, May Allah give us Gandhis Jannah. There are salah as the five prayers, or are you talking about any prayer? So, if a person here he, he doesn't know Arabic, so what do they do? Um, in the prayer, the official prayer, right, that begins with Allah Akbar and ends with Salaamu Alaikum, they will just learn a couple dhikr, like La ilaha illallah, and repeat that as long as they're praying behind the Imam until they learn what's needed. And then outside the prayer, they can make all their supplications, okay, in whatever language that they know. Yeah. And they could read the meanings of prophetic supplications and read those. All right? All right. Jazakumullah khairan. Thank you all very much. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdik. Nashadu an la ilaha illa ant. Nastaghfirik. Wa natubu ilayk. Allahumma ya muqallib al-qulub. Thabbit qulubana ala deenik wa ta'atik. Allahumma ya muqallib al-qulub. ثبت قلوبنا على دينك وطاعتك اللهم يا مقلب القلوب ثبت قلوبنا على دينك وطاعتك ولا حول ولا قوة إلا بالله العلي العظيم وصلى الله على سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم والحمد لله رب العالمين Oh.
been a Safina Society production.